to episode number eight of Arts Leaders Podcast. This episode was with acclaimed British violinist, conductor and educator Peter Manning. Since 1999, Peter has been concertmaster of the Orchestra of the Royal Opera House and has more recently been appointed a guest conductor for the Dallas Opera in Texas. In addition to his many other positions as a conductor and a performer, he is also the founder, artistic director and conductor of the Manning Camerata, an ensemble that has been described as an entrepreneurial classical group with the goal of playing a central role in the regeneration of the UK's chamber orchestra heritage. In addition to his work in the UK, Peter also spent three years as music director of Musica Vitae, Sweden's oldest established chamber orchestra, and last year he was appointed artistic director of the Three Palaces Festival in Malta. This interview was recorded in Malta last November during the Three Palaces Festival and in the beautiful and historic Manuel Theatre. So do you find that festivals like this are a good opportunity to give the likes of Nicola Said the platform? Obviously she's more, more than just an up-and-comer, but do you see it as an educational tool as well to give up-and-coming musicians the opportunity? I mean, there's a festival everywhere now. Festivals, you know, there will be the Festival of Festivals soon, no doubt. I'm sure it's still, it's probably, it probably already exists. The remarkable thing uh, about education is that it's, you know, perhaps when I was growing up, education seemed to be a kind of heavyweight approach to learning. Whereas I think it's changed its meaning slightly. And it means engagement. I think education means engagement. And if you're not involved with things... Um, at that level, it means you probably, you know, aren't allowing the new opportunities with your friends and your peer group, outside of your peer group. And I speak even as a musician, you know, you're not going to meet the musicians that you want or the artistic directors that you might like to have uh, appropriate talks with or indeed all our supporters, uh, the whole wide range of supporters, which is an A to Z, of everyone top to bottom in all levels in our society. And particularly at this time, the arts has got a particularly uh, uh, important role and, and, and a delicate role in making sure that we provide opportunity for everybody. So that's a real central message, I think, for the arts. And but you so, also seem mm, to believe that you can learn without being taught. Is that what you were getting at? That you don't have to be in a, an educational like, institution to be able to learn, that everything you do in life is learning. Well, I think, you know, with, with, irrespective of the remarkable tools that are available on the net, irrespective of what I call um, easy access, um, there is something which is called deep earth learning. And deep earth learning, for me, is the idea that you really do have to learn the skill and the discipline of what you're learning. You know, you can't, whether, whether it's physics or whether it's chemistry or whether it's poetry, you have to know the parameters of what you're working in. And so therefore you probably do need what I, what I call earth-deep understanding. You can do that by not being necessarily embedded in an organisation for five years. You can do that on a three-month uh, secondment. You can do that in six weeks. So I think, the way I think of festivals is, is um, it's an entree. At, a, at the artistic level for the performers, for example, to, to see what their peer group is doing and how that might go for them and how it might influence them. I.e. the question is, you know, what sort of uh, a message am I developing with my audience? Because that circular um, relationship between audience and performer has been there since time immemorial. 
There's no such thing as the audience and the performer. It's either the performance performer and the audience, or it doesn't work. Mm. So, um, it, you know, and so I think we need to know how we can bring the new education of that sort of idea into the new generation of performers. Um, when you're programming a festival like the Three Palaces Festival, do you have certain priorities of what you wanted to bring out from it? And in the particular example of the Three Palaces, it's quite in a way strict that you have these three venues and Manuel Theatre as well but three venues three palaces and to programme for that how has that influenced your programming for this festival? Well when I first came to Malta I mean I'm, I came to Malta many many years ago I mean I had a quartet called the Brit Quartet which was the EMI's first British string quartet for ten years we travelled the world and I, I really took a I got a world view about music art culture interfaces social interfaces all the sort of things which to that point I you know, had probably been going to these major capitals, you know, leading the London Philharmonic Orchestra and, and staying in these normal places that orchestras stay in. And do you know something? It's fly in, hotel room, rehearse, you know, play this show, which has to be a top show, go back to the hotel room, get up early, go. Mm. So it might be that you're on tour, but you're indeed that. You're not seeing very much. Whereas, you know, in my chamber music days, for example, I was seeing a lot. I saw a heck of a lot being on the perhaps because the smaller groupings are allowed to go to lots of different venues they're um, more versatile I suppose than bringing a full orchestra of course precisely for, well no I think orchestra is also very versatile and that's another question about the role of the orchestra into the future which of course you know we need to discuss more and more of course as the artistic community and the orchestral artistic community which I'm part of but I think there's um, no doubt in my mind that the opportunities um that are given by geographic placement is very important. So, for example, what Malta has, its offer is going to be different from the offer from Prague, for example, or from Moscow, or from, you know, Cancun, or, or it, it is going to be different, or New York is going to be different from LA, it's going to be different from Dallas and Texas. So it's all different. So it was my job to um, listen to lots of people, I think that's my main job, actually, is to listen. What a nice job to Which have. Which is what I'm not doing when I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> but my main job is to listen. And, um, and really understand the deep-seated culture here on Malta. Band clubs, choral singing, liturgy. Um, understanding of the passage of operatic progress everything from the Baroque and pre-Baroque. Um, deeply impressed by, you know, great oldest megalithic structure in Europe, in Gigantea, Hongozo. Um, music from that period, which existed, music around on vulture bones, um, we know this. And how has that then translated into How has it translated into my program? Well, I take it the totality of the arts and cultural flow through Malta as a really... A, a kind of rainbow of everything that's ever happened on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> so that gives you quite a bit to start a large to work scope with. Of <laughs> potential to put it. And um, is it aimed at a certain audience? Because I know you're quite involved in audience development and bringing uh, like classical music to a new generation. Was this aimed at a particular audience, or were you trying to get as broad a, an impression as possible? Well, I think one can aim uh, as a marketeer at an audience, but I think <clears throat> you have to think about this. Well. You have to say, well, what, what, what is the education programme in schools? What might be the education programme in schools? 
who's influencing the thoughts on what children's needs will be. You know, that's for educationalists to talk about and to discuss. And I think artists need to talk to educationalists. I think it's very important. And they need to take, talk to our major curriculum setters in whatever country that might be. I think there has to be a proper dialogue at the curriculum level. That's very important. There's also the idea that children are more, under more pressure not to sing these days. So that's another question. And then the, the age of the selfie is upon us. We've become selfie, selfie obsessed. Very selfie aware. Very selfie aware. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> that's really nice. Selfie aware, brilliant. Um, so we have to factor these things in too. We have to get real about what we're doing. So you did a lot of research on Malta before you started thinking about programming, or had you an idea of what you would put in, in that place before? Well, Malta is a, is a natural theatre backdrop. It has great theatrical spaces. I mean, internal spaces, I talked about this a little bit, that the architectural space of any <clears throat> fine uh, auditorium lends itself to visions of theatricality, even for a symphony orchestra. For me, once you shut the doors, it's a theatre. It's a theatre of music. And um, so when we talk about uh, the classical world, whatever that means, because actually people say, what is classical music? Well, you know, it's everything to do with the arts and culture that was set up by sort of platonic ideals, essentially. So platonic idealism is part of the idea of the classical structure. We're a little bit less exact about understanding that because very few people talk about it, but I, I've looked at that quite carefully. I think we've moved away from Plato in the sense that actually we've also moved arts philosophically into different areas and the arts does things which it didn't do 100 years ago. For example, the arts now it rubs up against health care, for example. Everyone knows that if you're going to be hammered by the, by the hammer jack, the noise that comes from that... that is going to have a detrimental effect on your health. Whereas if you listen to uh, calming music of Lully on the flute, for example, it'll affect your heartbeat. And, you know, medical practitioners realise that this is a reality now. And in particular, choral singing recently has come out as having huge mental and physical benefits for health. Precisely. And so I think, so these sorts of things have changed. And the appreciation of the idea of the, I call it the tremor of music, it has a real effect on our, the whole of our bodies and minds. So, you know, we have to be aware that you know, music's a very strong tool and it's also a very economical tool because it achieves a lot for a little, I would say. Yeah. How did this job come about as the artistic director of the Three Palaces? Were you approached um, mm. about it or how, how did it come about for you and what was your reaction to well, somebody asked me whether I would interview for it, which I did. I, it was an interviewed post, um, and um, and they seemed to like the sound of me and what I could bring. I suppose um, they probably were looking for a practitioner as well, because as somebody who really... I don't think I'm that typical in the sense that, you know, as a violin soloist and leader of major uh, world orchestras in London and concertmaster World Opera House, and I've always been involved... At, a few different levels, but I'm in no part different from colleagues in the 19th and 20th century. I mean, people who have been want to think, see things moved on. I always use the example of people can't believe that Handel, for example, was selling his own tickets to his own oratoria on the morning of the show 
people can believe that. So the age of the sort of superstar, as embodied in the Hollywood sense of the 1950s artist, is kind of over. In the sense that, you know, artists once again have got to get real with their the people that surround them, their audiences and their supporters. Um, I wanted to ask you about a particular project you did in Sweden with the Musica Vitae. Yeah. Um, it looks like a fascinating project to, to be involved in. And how, how did that come about? Well, that came about as a result of years of touring Sweden, which I got to know Sweden. And um, there was a wonderful, um, sadly no longer with us, uh, TV journalist called Sigvard Hammer. And Sigvard was just one of those sort of people who could talk to people like mayors in, in, in the Arctic Circle and say, you know something, you need a festival here. <laughs> so he started something called the Lap, Lapland's Festspel because the mayor thought it was a good idea. Mm. There were empty s- school buildings. He requisitioned the whole of the school buildings and basically shipped everyone from around the world. He talked to all the arts journalists. Everyone thought it was great. And everyone, everyone had a wonderful time mm. because, I mean, you know, I mean... You know, you, you play a concert and you can sort of have a quick swim in the Arctic Sea. Well, not for very long. And then you can have a marvellous time with colleagues that you would you would see on the touring circuit. But you, you're in a different circumstance with lots of mosquitoes biking, biting you. But you're also making music to a, a group of people who, they're all, they're all shipped in. So the audience was there for five, seven days. So you could build up these remarkable, remarkable relationships with people. And... Um, and that's, that's how that developed. So as a result of that, then the people down in the south of Sweden thought it would be very good. They needed a new um, artistic director. And um, so it's based, it, was a community, it is a community orchestra. I was there for three years. I won them back a, a radio contract with Swedish Radio. And it's a small organisation. It really it runs by itself, um, really for itself, uh, in that part of the world. Um, I mean, I learnt a lot there. You know, we learnt a lot from each other, actually, mm. is w- what happened. And um, so that was a sort of formation of some very early uh, ideas about running organisations. And, uh, and so I think that's increased year on year for me because I've been, I am involved st- at structural levels with developing European arts around the world and our, our great arts anyway, because I think... The boundaries of art are, it's boundless, but the practice of it is uh, a very described practice, which, are, which means that people do have to communicate across borders, and it's very, very important that people can do that. Mm. Um, leadership is a, a word and a kind of a topic that's been tossed around a lot recently with the arts and culture world. And in, in Malta and Valletta, we had recently the Art Summit, and there the theme of the summit was leadership. How has your roles as concertmaster and conductor, as a leader in, in a particular setting, if you like, as a conductor and a concertmaster leading an orchestra, how has that influenced your leadership style? As you, as you say yourself, you got more involved in organisational leadership. How has that influenced and helped you? Well, I suppose you could say there are, there are different structures at work, depending on the nature of the organisation. That has to be understood. Mm-hmm. So I... I I'm a great believer in the sort of organisms. I think you know all the best or, 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 uh, institutions, the best organisations are organic. They're not a created um, artificial set of chemicals. Mm. They are truly organic. So you have to look at the whole of the organisation in its depth and width to understand what it's doing. So there is a difference, I think, between what I call outside of the 
exact artistic milieu and the outside of that world which has different and more exact and even more exact descriptions of what artists need to achieve and if you can bridge those two things then I think you might be able to get into the area of artistic directorship I think that's what you have to bridge both those things really well and it's you know one fails better each time you know? <laughs> oh, that concept. Um, do, is it important for, mis- for musicians to have an awareness of that outside or is it I mean there's obviously the, the argument of you do your, your art form and you concentrate wholly and fully on that and you try to block out all of the external not influences but the external pressures of it is it important to, to build that barrier for, for musicians for performers obviously you said Handel used to do all the marketing himself he used to sell the tickets himself but is it important to to separate those well there are all sorts of um, if you're talking about the concept of a gauze which can allow flow one way and not the other I think take that as an example take that as a metaphor for it all musicians need the gauze to allow them to have a full understanding of their cultural environment I mean every great artist understands to a greater degree the cultural environment and you can never know enough about but now that we're bringing the political environment, the economic, as you mentioned yourself, healthcare, that was never part of the arts and culture when people were, were developing their art form. So, I mean, it, ha- it has changed considerably since, for example, Handel's time. Yeah, but I think what we're talking about is specific um, in terms of health. Let's see if you use one example. For example, well-being in hospitals mm. for people who say are terminally ill. Where does that well-being come from? It comes from an, actually a mental appreciation that they themselves can feel more positive about themselves in, the, in those very dark days. Mm. Let's use that, as a, which is a very ter- terrible and difficult example. That is, has always been part of a musician's job. Communication to another place. Music brings us to another place. And that's why the practice is so exact, because we have to get to another place. To bring people to another Yeah, it's both a, med- a mental and a physical effort to get to a point where we create a space slightly out of time. It's a remarkable space, which is why people love music. And that's all sorts of music, and that's not just so-called classical music. That's any sound that really works in the context, the structural concept of sound. And um, I think we're, we're in a, an age of discovery about that. Mm. So, But I do think there are some musicians, however at certain times in your career that you really do have to block out the outside influences and you do need that uh, hermetic uh, period like Mahler went into a forest no distractions and just wrote symphonies yes Arthur Miller went into his uh, shed to, to write his plays in upstate New York I mean a lot of poets go into sheds to write I mean they follow Arthur Miller's example and, um, and I remember talking to Harold Pinter about that. And, and, you know, it's quite interesting that playwrights and poets do like to go to another space. They need to be totally blocked out, like musicians need that. And there's so much distraction these days as well. It's, all, it's getting harder and harder to avoid the distractions and to find your creative space, if you like. That indeed is true, but then again, that's part of the job. Circumstances are never as perfect as you would like it to be or like them to be. But you need to be able to adapt to these circumstances in which you find yourself. Yeah, and I think that's part of being a human being. Mm-hmm. Adaptation is very important, and music is not separate from that mm-hmm. world. 
Just one final point before we go in and see the final concert of the Three Palaces Festival. Um, talk to me briefly about one of your, your other projects, the Manning Camerata. Um, it, was, it was established to regenerate the UK's um, chamber orchestra heritage. Why did you think that was necessary and what was the situation at the time when you thought it needs something like this? Well, it was because I, of course, were, my colleagues, I probably see as many of my musicians' friends as probably anyone in the UK or you know, in many other places too, if come to that matter. And the conversations that I was having with people led me to believe that we need to get into different spaces. We need to work with living composers more. We need to work with other visual artists, people who are virtual-based, non-virtual-based, all the sort of stuff that actually, you know... For example, I, I talk to my kids as well. I've got four children. They're quite grown. But, you know, we're not separate from, from the, all these trends and changes. So I wanted to set up a think tank, really, of, my, of the people whose views which I wouldn't necessarily know about. So I, I, incl- I include any, everyone, physicists and mathematicians, uh, as, as well as health practitioners, uh, people involved with education, music education, arts education, educators, all of this thing. Because I felt, you know, I don't know why, because I've always, I've always been um, persuaded by the idea that you do need to bring people together to create that other thing. And I think that's what the lively... The lively arts need this, and I, I love the idea of the the crafting and the care of um, older structures. I love the idea of certain performance type groups who are so exact about everything. But I also love working with live living people, and I like the idea that you know something that the audiences are live as well in our halls and in our special spaces and our found spaces and our yet to be found spaces and all these things. So. It's about that communication between the artist and the quasi-non-artist or the wannabe artist called the audience who's there. And we need that audience. And I'm very uh, sensitive to the idea that we need to move on a platform with that audience. And we need to find out how we can do that better. Obviously, there's a movement as well towards a more experience economy. Um, How have you incorporated that into your work, especially with the the Manning Camerata and, and with Three Palaces? Well, I mean, I'd gone to the, the creators, uh, original creators, wh- whoever they might be, writers, poets, um, dramaturgs, uh, opera directors, to talk about trends. And you have to do that, and you've got to keep your ears mm. and mind open. That's quite a challenge. Um, and that's how I achieve it, by keeping my ears open and keeping my um, thoughts about structures for the future at the lowest possible level so that other people's ideas can actually be part of that dialogue. I like to be part of dialogue. That's, that's the central part of my understanding of how I can be effective and useful at all. That there's a give and take, that you don't rock up and say this is how it should be and everybody should do it like this. There is a very much a, a cyclical um, transfer of information. Yeah, it's organic. Like. Mm. It's, you know, a boardroom table will exist like that. You know, one has to be a a chairperson to, to the arts practitioners and the chairpersons to all the, the help, helpers around the benefactors, all the support systems. You know, for me, it's one that has to treat it with the utmost care and respect because uh, it is an organic thing. And we are talking about, you know, the, the expectations and the, uh, and the, uh, 
the perceptions and the passions of many, many people uh, who we need to make this all work mm. in, 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 in a whole sense. How does then, when arts councils and the like, there seems to be a lot of emphasis on measuring culture and measuring the impact of culture, how does that devalue the culture that they're yeah. trying to measure? Well, it's a, that's a huge subject you're so opening it. The one of metrics is a very big subject for us all. Mm. You know, whether we're buying a loaf of bread or our water, metrics is, uh, we're good at that. The binary, we're getting really good at the binary since we, uh, we use that to power up all our machines. But actually, there is the idea of the analogue that goes along as well, and we're learning how to incorporate that within the binary system. I mean, those sorts of things actually are very important. So how do we do that? I just don't know. At this point, I don't know. But what I do know is that we shouldn't be limiting by metrics. Well, thank you so much, Peter, for talking to me, and I'm really looking forward to seeing Stephen on stage. And I'm not sure if you're aware, but on Friday we had another amazing cellist here, yeah. Narek Haknazarian, who was playing with the orchestra on so yeah. on one weekend to have two world-class cellists. It's quite, quite a thing. <laughs> and quite a fantastic thing on Malta that we're doing. That's fantastic. It's yeah, fantastic. Thanks so much for this. Thank you so much, Peter, and safe trip back.